I used to have a program on my computer called Tiny Elvis, and every few minutes, a little character looks like Elvis would come out on my screen and make comments. He'd say things like, whoa, look at the size of that cursor. <laughs> so it was really cute until it crashed my computer. I had to take it off of there. But uh, in putting together this video, our director of communications, Brad Bailey, has made one of my all-time dreams come true. Now there's a tiny Pastor Kyle walking around irritating people. But uh, no, seriously, Brad is so gifted and talented. Let's just give him a round of applause uh, putting that together. That's just really neat that he has that capability to do that. But uh, lest you think I'm going to get a big head or anything like that, I want to show you something I get about once a year. Um, this is from my alma mater. And uh, I get this once a year. And basically, it's a ballot where I get to fill out who I think should be one of the overseers for the university. Um, and there also comes one where we can vote on who needs to be the leaders of our alumni association. And so if you ever want to feel humble in your life, read one of these things. These are people who graduated from my same school, and these are the things that they're doing with their lives that make me feel really small. Uh, this lady uh, was a White House advisor, uh, the U.S. chief technology officer working on artificial intelligence. Uh, here's a guy who was unanimously confirmed by the Senate as a federal judge. Uh, this guy was a Rhodes Scholar with a doctorate in politics and a decorated military veteran. Uh, this lady was an Emmy-nominated analyst. Uh, this one was the one who won a Pulitzer Prize in journalism. Uh, this guy was the Young Architect of the Year selected by the American Institute of Architects. Uh, this guy is a partner at Goldman Sachs. Uh, this one is uh, the chief legal officer for Google. Uh, this guy is a, a vice admiral in the Navy. Uh, this lady directs the Boston Ballet. Uh, this guy was a president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Uh, this lady was on the U.S. women's national soccer team, uh, won a gold medal, right? So... I get this in the mail, and I feel like tiny Elvis, right? Anything that I've ever done or accomplished makes me feel like a big loser, right? Look what they've done with their life after graduation. Then I look at my life, and it doesn't stack up, and it leaves me wanting a little bit more, feeling green with envy. You know what that feels like? You see other people who are doing well in their lives. They have the perfect family or the perfect job or the perfect house. They have all the money in the world that they need. And just like their life is perfect. And when you see yours and you compare that, which we all do, we begin to feel bad about ourselves. And we wish that we had their life. I wish I had that job. I wish I had that income. I wish I was married to that person. Right? We have these envious moments in our lives, and I'm not wanting to be married to anybody but my wife, right? Just got to clarify that. That's not my envious thing. That's one thing where I did nail it, thanks be to God, right? But we feel that, right, in our lives, and it's hard, especially when you go on social media and you see all these people living these wonderful lives, the perfect family, the perfect vacation, the perfect life, and then your life doesn't stack up. I literally have a friend who's my real friend and also a friend on social media that takes a trip of a lifetime, like going places like Iceland and the national parks, takes a trip of a lifetime at least three times a year. <laughs> you know, it's just, it becomes funny. Like, where's your trip of a lifetime this month going, right? And, and I just, 
feel unsettled in that and wish sometimes, why, why doesn't my life look like that? Don't I deserve that? Right? Don't you deserve that? Don't you think that God would want you to live a life like that? Do you know what it's like to feel envious, jealous? We want what other people have, and what we have just doesn't seem to be good enough. And so today the question is, right, can we escape from this feeling of envy? Can we escape from this, this feeling of wanting what other people have and appreciate the things that God has given to us in our lives, really appreciating it, not just giving it lip service? Would you like to escape from the feeling of envy that your life's not good enough while other people's lives are? Well, today we're going to talk about that, and I want to go into the Bible today, and we're going to begin in the Old Testament. Right, in the Old Testament, God set up kind of a, an agreement with the people of Israel. If you follow my laws, I'll take care of you, and God gave them about 613 laws to follow. That's a lot, right? And we all have probably heard of the top 10, right, the, the Ten Commandments, and today we're going to look at one of the top 10 commandments, right? So in the Ten Commandments, there's the first four commandments are about our relationship between us and God, and then the last six commandments are about our relationship with other people. Uh, and today we're going to look at the tenth commandment. Any guess what it might be based on how I introduced the message today? Well, let's look at this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet. Right? Covet means to lust after, to want, to, 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 to strongly desire something that you don't have. Right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right, so the first nine of the Ten Commandments are specific commands not to do an action. Right? Don't murder. Right? Don't steal. Honor your father and mother. Right? The Tenth Commandment, do not covet, is a covet uh, is a commandment that talks about something in the heart, right? It's not an action. It's something that happens in your heart, right? Don't desire the things that your neighbor has, right? Now, that doesn't mean like if your neighbor's married and you're not married and you like to be married one day. That's not what this means, right? It's okay to want to be married one day. It's okay to want to be employed one day, to have a place to live one day. But God's specifically saying don't covet specifically specific things, like literally your neighbor's house or your neighbor's spouse or your neighbor's job or your neighbor's income, right? It's, it's talking about specifics. But I think in general it, it can apply to that as well if we're not careful, right? But anyway, with this command not to covet, it, it's speaking to the heart. And ultimately, really, it's kind of a summary of the Ten Commandments, right? Because if we don't desire what our neighbor has, then maybe we won't steal from them. If we don't desire what our neighbor has and we don't have, maybe we won't kill them. Maybe we will honor them, right? And so this, this command not to covet is a pretty powerful one. And when you get to the New Testament, Jesus takes the 613 commands and he boils it down to two. He makes it easier for us. And he says, really, all what it, what it boils down to is to do two things, to love God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? To covet breaks both of those commands, right? If we strongly desire what the people around us have, then we're going to focus on that more than we focus on God. So we begin to love things and other people more than we love God. So that breaks the big command for God, for Jesus. And when we're desiring so intently what other people have, then we're not loving them as we love ourselves. 
We're saying, I want what you have. I don't care who you are, right? We see them as a means to an end, right? So do not covet summarizes the Ten Commandments. It also breaks, right? If we covet, it breaks the two commands that Jesus gives us, right? So this is dangerous, right? I want to go back into the Old Testament. The people of Israel have just been in a battle. Uh, they've won this battle, and one of the soldiers wants to steal some of the plunder from the people that they've defeated, and God has said, no, don't do that. Uh, so let's go to Joshua 7.21, and this is what the guy said. He says, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, like lots of valuables here, I coveted them. I wanted them so badly, and so I took them, even though God said, don't take it, right? They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath, right? So this guy named Achan, he covets what he's not supposed to have. He takes it against what God says, and the consequence is he and his family die, right? Coveting literally leads to his death, right? As it leads to some of our spiritual deaths, it led to his physical death, right? Let's go to the New Testament, right? We're going to be in the book of James here, and James gives us advice about not coveting. So it's not just the Old Testament, it's also the New Testament, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Let's go to the next slide. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James says it's true, right? If you covet in your heart too much, then your actions are going to follow, and you're going to do bad things. You might steal from someone. You might kill someone, right? You might start talking badly and gossiping about someone because they have something and you don't have something. And so when we covet and we desire these things from other people, then nothing good comes from that. Right, so we see it in the Old Testament, we see that in the New Testament, we see it literally with people dying, we see it spiritually, people consumed on the inside. Right, think about the discord that is happening in your office right now, or in your school, or in the politics of our nation, or other nations coveting what we have, and we covet what they have, and we go in and we invade and we take, and they come in and invade and they take, and look at the mess of the world because we want what other people have, and we're going to take it no matter what. Right? It causes lots and lots of problems i'm not smart enough to figure out 9-11 and why all this terrorism happened but there's a lot of hatred in the world and usually with a lot of hatred we want something that they have and they want something that we have and we fight over it and we kill each other over it and it's a mess in the world the bible says don't covet but it's so hard not to right we see what other people have we want it there's no harm in wanting what other people have is there yeah there is there's a lot and you think about it, like uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who is a medical professional for one of the, the big networks in America, uh, has done a study on social media. And he found out that people who are on social media who are passive, which simply means you're, just, you're, you're clicking through posts. You don't reply. You don't post yourself. You're just looking at what other people are doing. Right, you're seeing their post about how happy they are and all the good things. It says that people who are passively going on social media are much more depressed than people who are actively posting. Hey, at least I have something to show or something I'm, I'm, I'm interacting on that, right? So just being voyeurs and going on social media and trying to see what everybody's doing, it makes us even sadder, right? Likely, we're coveting what other people have and we don't have, right? And so he says it affects us. It makes us sadder, right? And a lot of times we also forget when we want stuff that other people have, we, we forget that their lives aren't perfect. 
that they have all this stuff or these relationships that we want, but if you were to ask them, right, they have problems in their lives, they're struggling in their relationships, they have health issues, they have stress with their kids, uh, all the good stuff they have is not enough, they want something else. Like somebody's on their list for coveting, right? And so we see this dream life, but we talk to those people living that dream life and they're just as unhappy as we are, right? They're not any happier than we are. And then what if we were to get these items? What if we got the house? What if we got the car? What if we got the girl or the guy, right? We, we, we get these things in our life and all of a sudden, hey, this is great for a while, but how long is it before that has lost its luster and we're looking somewhere else and we see something else that somebody has that we want even more and we've already forgotten the thing that we just got that we've been wanting forever? I do that. I see something I want. I save up money for it. I buy it. I get it. It's fun. But then you know what? It's collecting dust. I'm paying insurance on it and it's junk into my garage and Laura's like, throw it out, right? It happens, right? We see stuff. We want it. We get it. And it just doesn't make us happy, right? And at, at what point do we get enough to make us feel content, right? My boys, they love to watch YouTube. Anybody watch YouTube, right? You can watch all these things on YouTube and got all these people doing all these funny things. And I've determined that I was born too late in life. Uh, because, like, now we watch these kids on YouTube that play video games, and you're watching a kid play a video game, and they're a millionaire because you're watching them, and someone's paying advertising dollars for you to do that, right? If I could have played video games and gotten paid millions of dollars when I was growing up, right, what in the world could I be doing, right? <laughs> Probably not being faithful to God's call to be a pastor, but, uh, <laughs> right? And so we, we see these folks on YouTube. We got a, a photo. This is, like, a, this is a top ten list. Uh, it's probably hard to see out there, but... These are the top 10 YouTubers in the world, and they have hundreds of millions of people who subscribe. Mr. Beast, uh, he is a YouTuber from Raleigh, North Carolina. He does all these fun, silly kind of things. Uh, he has over 100 million people, right? He pranks his friends and gets paid millions of dollars, right? I would love to prank my friends and get millions of dollars, right? Uh, there's a group on here from, I think, from India. They have 141 million uh, subscribers. There's another one on here. The top one's 222 million subscribers, right? What's interesting in watching these YouTubers, right, is in every video, they're always saying, like my video, subscribe to my video, right, B because I've got 100 million, but I need to have 110 million. I need to have 120 million, right? At what point is enough enough? Th right, these people don't have to work another day in their life. They don't need another subscriber. They don't need another like. Why are they still doing it, right? And, and it's driving them, right? I need another subscriber, right? I, I've got 100 million, but I don't have 150 million. Somebody's got 220 million, right? When is enough enough? When can we be content with what we have rather than what other people have and what they're doing in their life? Right? When, is it, when do we finally become happy? Right? When do we arrive and say, I'm here. I've got everything that I want, right? Why can't we do that? Why are we, when in your life, when is enough? Why do we keep envying other people, what they have, when they themselves are not any happier than we are, and they're envying someone else who's not any happier than they are? When can we be fulfilled? When can we be happy? When is enough enough? Because if we're honest, there's always going to be somebody who has more than us, who's better looking than us, who's more popular than us, who has better grades than us, right? who has a bigger house. There's always somebody who's going to be doing it better than you. So when are you going to be happy with the life that you're living? When is enough enough? Well, we're going to find a man who figured it out. And his name is Paul. And he started a lot of churches in the first century. And he wrote most of the New Testament. He 
he wrote letters to these churches. We collected those letters. Oh, not we, me, but somebody did, and they put them, and they made the New Testament. We think God did this on purpose. And this guy, Paul, right, he lived a life where for a while he was this religious leader who was very revered and popular, probably had some good money growing up. Um, and so he knows what it's like to live life on the top. Where we are in the, in the scripture today, he's in prison. He might die for his faith. Uh, a lot of people hate him. They want him dead. He doesn't have a lot of money, right? So he's been on the top. He's been on the bottom. And this is what Paul teaches us directly from his heart about when is enough enough? When can I be happy with my life, right? He's in prison. He could die. And he doesn't have a lot of money. Some Christians have sent him some money, and he's saying thank you for the money. Um, but he, it's kind of a cheesy thank you note. He's like, thank you, but I probably really didn't need it <laughs> because God's with me, right? Thank you, sort of. Watch this, all right? So Paul, in the Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, all right? They reached out to Paul in prison. They sent him some money because back in the day, it wasn't like prison today. You had to, you had, even in prison, you had to get your own food or water brought to you or you'd starve. Okay? So they're helping him out. He says, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Uh, I rejoiced greatly. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is what we're looking for, right? When's enough enough? Right? Paul's in prison. He needs some help financially to make it he could die i'm not saying this because i'm in need for i have learned to be content whatever the circumstances i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty right i have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want i can do all this through him who gives me strength. This Philippians 4.13 is one of the most quoted passages of scripture in the world. It's beautiful. Another translation says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We misinterpret this verse so many times. What this verse means is that I can be content in all circumstances through Jesus who gives me strength. I can be content in all circumstances through Jesus who gives me strength. This is incredible. This is like the Holy Grail. This is like what we all want for in our lives. Paul has found it. Right? He's like, I know what it's like to be on top. I know what it's like to have money. I know what it's like to be popular. I know what it's like to have prestige and power. And I know what it's like to be on the bottom where there are mobs and chasing me around. They're beating me up. They're torturing me. They're putting me in jail. And they're trying to kill me where I'd have no money. I could starve to death and I could die. Right? Paul says on both sides of that, I've learned how to be content, to be happy with my life. Not because of my external circumstances, but because of my internal circumstances. Because Jesus is with me. And Jesus gives me strength. Right? I have a relationship to God. I'm not alone. God is with me. And God will help me face whatever circumstances come. Right? So I take from this a couple of different things. I think, one, Paul wants us to be grateful for the blessings that we have in our lives. Yeah, I'm in prison. Yeah, I'm not popular with the world. Yeah, I could die, but I've got Jesus. And I've got you, Philippians, who are coming to care for me, right? So I'm grateful for the blessings that I have in my life. What are the blessings in your life? What are the relationships that you have? What, what is your health situation? What are the good things that God has given you in your life? Be grateful for that. 
But then Paul goes beyond that. And he says, Be, our contentness, contentness and happiness doesn't depend on our circumstances. Right? If, if we don't have a lot of material goods, not enough food, not enough clothes, right? not the right shelter, not the right car, not the right popular stuff to wear, it's okay. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. God is with you. Or when we have all these things, right? And we have all that we want, all to eat, but our closets are full. We have a nice car. We have a nice house, a nice job, people that love us, right? That doesn't mean that God loves us more than other people, right? God is with us in all circumstances, and we can be grateful whatever. Because it doesn't matter what we have, our external circumstances, it's what's happening in our lives that God is with us, right? So this is what I think is really cool that Paul says, right? God supplies a great need for us. The ability to face all circumstances through Jesus who gives us strength, right? We can face whatever comes because Jesus is with us and gives us strength, right? So if I'm poor, I can be happy. If I'm middle class, I can be happy. If I'm rich, I can be happy, right? Later, Paul says in Scripture, he says that to give thanks in all circumstances, Right? Whatever's going on, I, I, there's something for me to be grateful for. It doesn't mean to give thanks for all circumstances. Right? I don't think we should be happy. Hey, I just got a terminal diagnosis. Or, hey, I'm in an abusive relationship. This is wonderful. It's not. That's not what God's saying. Right? If you're in an abusive relationship, God doesn't want you to be stuck there. He wants you to be able to escape from that. Right? What God is saying, when we envy other people, and we're jealous of other people, and we're desiring what other people have, right? Even if bad things do happen to us, good things do happen to us, we can be content that God's with us and will help us to bring good into our lives, to get us out of abusive situations, right, to help us through good and bad situations. But when we think about it through the lens of coveting and envying and wanting what other people have, God says you can be happy with what you have right now because you have me and that's enough. I want to read to you just this same passage from another translation, the message, and I think it's powerful. It's just another way of seeing it. You know, we read different translations of the Bible because sometimes it just helps our brain think a little bit differently. So let me just read this to you. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally, right? I'm in prison. I don't have any money or food, but I'm good, Paul says. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Right? Wouldn't you love to really be able to say that and mean that? Right? Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one Jesus who makes me who I am. Right? So how do we get this? How do we stop envying other people? How do we start appreciating our life? How do we start saying that no matter what's going on in my life, I've got God and that's enough and God's going to see me through. We have to ask for it. We have to say, Jesus, I need this. I want this. I want to believe this, but it seems too good to be true. I need you to come, Lord, and, and, and prove it. I need you to come in and make this my life. Help me to have a relationship with you that is so strong that I know that that's all that I need. It will get me through whatever comes, right? It's, it's through your pursuit of God. It's through your surrender of God, asking God to come into your life. How do we open ourselves to God? We keep worshiping. We read the Bible. We pray, right? We, we, we serve people, right? But at the heart of that is, is our desire to say, God, I just want you to be it. I want you to be the main part of my life and that you can help me deal with whatever comes, right? So what's the point today? This is what I think it is. 
Contentment transcends circumstance. You can be happy, you can be content, no matter what your circumstance is. Right? Now, again, if you're in an abusive relationship, God doesn't want you to be stuck there. Right? But we can be content and we can be happy, whatever the circumstance. Right? Because God transcends that. God helps us face whatever we need to face on a given day. Right? God's enough. Right? God helps us know that contentment transcends circumstance. So we can be content and happy if we have a lot. We can be content and happy if we don't have a lot. We don't have to spend a lot of time envying other people because we can have what God wants us to have, that relationship with Christ. Right? So, so here today are a couple of things I want you to do. Uh, these are action steps. I'm just going to ask a bunch of questions and... Uh, I want you to think about these. At the end, I'm going to have one slide that has all the questions. If you want to take a picture of that, you can go home this week and think through this and pray about it. You can go back and watch it on the screen. But just think about it in your life, right? What do you covet? Right? What do you want in life? So bad that someone else has it, you just don't think it's fair, and you just are so focused on it. What do you covet in your life? Would you be content if you got it? Right? If you got it, how happy would you be and how long would you be to have that? Right? So I covet this. If I got it, would I be happy? And if so, for how long? Right? And how has this worked for you in the past? Right? We've all wanted things. We've all tried to get things. We get those things. Right? Does it stop us wanting something else in the world? Is it enough? Right? Has it ever made us say, I don't need another thing. I don't need another relationship in my life. Right? What happens to you when it comes to coveting? All right, let's go to the next slide. Right? Am I content? Are you content in your life right now? Are you happy in your life right now? Right? Are you, right? And if not, why not? Right? What's stopping you? Right? When are you going to be happy? When are you going to be content? When's enough enough in your life? When are you going to be happy? When are you going to be content? When are you going to surrender to God? Right? When, when is it going to happen? Is it when you get the next thing or the next thing? Or is it maybe giving this a chance and asking God if, if Paul really is right, right? Keep going. What am I grateful for in my life? Right? What are the good things in your life? What are the blessings in your life? What has God done for you? Right? Who are the people that God sent you in your life? Right? And can you be happy for other people? Right? Can I really be happy for my friend who takes the trip of a lifetime like every three months? Right? It's hard, <laughs> but I'm working on it. Okay? It's hard, but you know, good for him. That's great for him. I'm glad for him. He can do that. He can afford that. He can do that. Good for him. God has given me opportunities to do other great things as well, right? So good for him, right? Can we be happy for other people, right? Is God enough for me, right? And, and by that, it doesn't mean, right, we still get hungry. We still got to sleep. We still got to have a roof over our head, right? We need things, right? But what I mean by this is can I face whatever happens to me because Jesus gives me strength? Do we know Jesus so much that whatever happens to us, we can face it because Jesus gives us the strength to do that, right? So this is the summary slide. You're going to take a picture of that. You want to remember that. Which question is speaking to you today? Which question are you wrestling with? What, what's God stirring up in your heart? What, what do you need to go home and think and pray about with this, right? And for, for me, every year I get this stupid letter about all these people who are a lot better than me, and it makes me be in a really bad mood once a year, right? What, what's your list? What list do you wrestle with? What list do you struggle with? Right? How, how do you do that? I have a dog. Her name's Bella. She's cute. She's little. And sometimes she chases her tail, you know? You guys ever seen that? Right? I think in our lives that we're like my dog, Bella. 
and we see what other people have and we think it's so great and so we chase it and 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 we never get it. We end up dizzy and falling over and throwing up on ourselves. Today through Paul, God's saying, stop chasing your tail. Stop chasing your tail. I look at my life and it's not perfect, but it's beautiful. My family, you, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't trade that for the list, for this list ever. Stop chasing your tails, brothers and sisters. Contentment transcends circumstance. Ask God to let you be content in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.